0: Well good morning everybody. Welcome to Living Hope. We're glad that you're here. Those of you in the room, those of you joining us online, we like to begin our services with this greeting Christians have been using for just about forever I think. The Lord be with you. And
1: also with you.
0: Thanks. We believe that's true in this new year that God is with us and that he meets us right here, uh, right where we are, uh, in the middle of whatever's going on. If it's a great start to the new year or if it's more like mine, and not so great. If it's been a rocky start, or if it's been a great start, God is with us, and that is something we can be thankful for. Let's bow our heads and pray to him before we begin. Thank you, God, for the chance to gather together uh, to sing to you and pray to you, to listen for your spirit, speaking through the scriptures, to to gather around the table of our Lord Jesus. God, we pray that in all we do today, that we would connect with you, uh, with your amazing love that you have for us. It's hard for us, God, to wrap our minds around the idea that the God who made the universe cares about me and knows what I'm going through and is with me as I go through it. Help us today, God, to connect with you and your love and your grace. And help us to be ready to say yes to whatever it is that you say to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're able, interested, let's stand and let's sing as we begin.
1: I'm glad you guys could join us here and at home. From the highest of heights to the depths of the sea. Creations revealing your majesty. From the colors of fall to the fragrance of spring Every creature unique in the song that it sings All is flaming, indescribable, uncontainable You place the stars in the sky and you know them by We fall to our knees as we humbly proclaim You are amazing, God You are amazing, God Who has told every lightning bolt where it should go heavenly storehouses laden with snow who imagine the sun and give source to its light yet conceals it to bring us the coolness of night none can fathom indescribable uncontainable you place the stars in
2: Amen. Praise the Lord. How good to sing praises to our God. How delightful and how fitting. He heals the brokenhearted and he bandages their wounds. He counts the stars and he calls each one by name. How great is our Lord. His power is absolute. His understanding is beyond comprehension. Amen and amen. Pray with me, would you? Father, Thank you for the reminder this morning of how great you truly are. Lord, it's easy to go about our day doing what we have to do, doing what needs to be done, sometimes just barely getting through. Lord, we forget how good and how great you truly are. Lord, the, this morning, uh, coming into church and seeing the sunshine for the first time in a little while, man, we are thankful. We're thankful for the reminder that you are even hidden by the clouds of life, even hidden by the things that are going on. Lord, you are still there, and you are not leaving us forsaken ever. We may not see you. We may not see you working even, Lord, but you are always there. We can trust that. We can rely on that. We can rest in that, Father. And I I thank you so much for that truth. I thank you for each person that has come here this morning that's gathered here. Whether they're in this building, they're online right now, or they're watching later, Lord, you have gathered us for a purpose. You have gathered in order to, to you've gathered us in order to be with us, Lord. You've invited us here because you love us and you want us to have a relationship with you. You want us to learn from you. And to, to know your heart, Lord, in, in an intimate and, and close personal way. As we gather in community, Lord, I thank you. I praise you. And Lord, as we as we are preparing our hearts and our minds to hear from you this morning. I pray that the words that you have given Pastor Rich, Lord, would would sink deep down into who we are, that it would become part of us, Lord, that it would be working to change us little by little, day by day, moment by moment even, Lord. And for that, we thank you again. We praise you, Lord. We give you all the glory for all that you are doing in this service through each person Lord, through the people who serve here, for the people who are served here, we thank you. We praise you. Again, we give you all the glory, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. And now the peace of the Lord be with you. Take a few moments, if you would, and pass the peace amongst yourselves.
0: It is good to be uh, part of a church where you guys like each other and connect with each other and if you're, if you're watching online, you're missing out. You can't see what's going on here and you, you can't hear what's going on here probably, but uh, we would love to connect with you as well. So make sure you go uh, leave us a comment there on YouTube or Facebook, wherever you're watching or uh, go to livinghope.info slash connect and let us know that you're with us, how we can pray for you, thank God with you. Uh, we'd just love to connect with you. Maybe you want to plug in somewhere and get connected here. Uh, we'd love to help you get connected. And same goes for all of us here in the room. Uh, you could do that too, or you could just grab one of those little green cards back there by the offering box jot us a note on it, how we can pray for you, thank God with you. Uh, maybe you want to get involved with the Overnight Warming Center or something else. Just jot us a note, drop it in the offering box, make sure your contact info's on it. And, uh, and if you're giving today, you can drop that in there as well, and, uh, or you can give online. Uh, that's, that's good. Thank you again to all of you who give so faithfully. Uh, it's a new year. So uh, sometime later this month, all of you who gave last year will be getting like that giving statement thing that says, here's what you gave to the church last year, so you can use it for your taxes if you need it or whatever. And of course, if you find something wrong on there, let us know. Every now and then, something gets goofed up in there and it's, you know, whatever. Let us know if there's, a, if there's an error or something's missing or something like that. Uh, if a check got lost in the mail and we didn't get it or something, something along those lines. Um, so one big thing that's happening in our church's life right now is uh, this overnight warming center. Um, several of you, we started it again. You guys know we did it during the Christmas snowstorm that when it was really bad outside, just to make sure people had someplace safe to go overnight. And uh, now that that's behind us, but winter is upon us. And uh, and so we decided as a church, let's open this thing up. Uh, you know, we've participated in different shelter ministries in the past, I've been involved with the, the Rotating Men's Shelter and, and helped coordinate the Women's Shelter years ago. Uh, but... Currently, there are day centers, there are places people can go during the day to stay warm, uh, but there was no place to go at night. So, unless you were part of one of those existing shelter groups. You know, if you were one of the men in that rotating shelter, great. Um, But if you were a single woman, or a couple, or uh, for whatever reason you didn't fit into any of the existing programs, the good work that's being done by the other nonprofits in town, there was just no place. And uh, some of you know, we would have a handful of people sleeping in the doorway uh, at the church. And so we th- said, let's open it up. Let's bring them in. And so we've done that the last few nights. We've had five to eight or nine people, I think, a couple nights ago. Uh, and uh, so if you'd like to help provide this, you- you're already helping provide it just by giving, helping pay for the, you know, because it's going to cost us a little more because we've got to run the heat all night and stuff like that that we wouldn't normally do. Uh, and that's fine. Uh, so your giving is helping make that possible. If you'd like to be here as a volunteer... We would love to have you because we've still got nights that we need to have people here. Every night, we have to have somebody here from 8 p.m. to 7 a.m. And um, so some of you are already stepped up and you're doing that. Some of you have taken part of a night. Uh, if you would like to do that, let me know. We'd love to plug you in. It's pretty simple. Uh, the men and women that have been staying have been, you know, respectful and all of that. So uh, but anyway, we would love to, we'd love to have you. Let us know if you'd like to help. Uh, and that goes for all of you watching online, too. If you'd like to help, let us know. All right. <clears throat> and then we're uh, we're in this series on Genesis. And uh, uh, so I think we're ready to dive right into that, I think. You know, we've got our, our midweek stuff happening, and, and uh, Tuesday night. Your book club meeting this Tuesday, or are you waiting another week? Okay. Pastor Judy's got a, a book group that meets Tuesdays at 530. We've got our, our Wednesday night group that meets at 6, and the youth group, I think, is still uh, going to be here tonight, or Wednesday night and all of that. So the holidays are... Kind of behind us now. We're we're in this season of the new year. Uh, if you follow the Christian calendar, it's the season of Epiphany, uh, as God is revealing Himself to the whole world, and uh, that's where we're going this month. Is the Book of Genesis, speaking to the whole world, uh, where this kind of sets the tone for the whole story for the whole book. I mentioned last week, in a few weeks now. This year we are making our way through the Bible, all right, book by book. Uh, well, at least twelve of the books. All right, we're not going to hit the whole thing, uh, but each month we we'll have a different book of the Bible that we center in on. Uh, Genesis this month, Revelation in December, and we're going to hit a whole bunch of good ones in between. All right, so last week we started it off. Genesis chapter one: God says, "Let there be light," and there's light, and He does all the all the good work. Right? And he creates everything, and uh, takes a. a uh, it says the the earth was formless and empty, and God gave it form, and He filled it with life, and uh, and He creates us, human beings, in His image. We watched a great little video from the Bible Project people, that if you missed it, you can just go Google Bible Project image of God, and you'll find that video free on YouTube, and uh, about how God creates us in his image to represent him to the rest of creation, to care for and cultivate creation, to bring out all the good that God has, has placed in his creation, the potential that is there. And we, we see that in Genesis 1, and we see that continue through the story right up to the, to the present day. Uh, now, what I was hoping to do last week was to hit both the story in Genesis 1 and the story in Genesis 2, and we just ran out of time. Uh, and so you've, you've probably read the story in Genesis 2 before about how God gets his hands dirty, forms a human out of the dust of the ground, breathes in his nostrils the breath of life, and he comes alive, right? And uh, this is where we get the Garden of Eden and the snake and the, the fruit and all of that. We're going we're gonna to look at three stories today that kind of take us from God's good creation to something more like the world we see now. <laughs> which is not quite as good as it started out, right? Any of us who have been alive on the earth long enough to look around and, and to see what's up know that this is not the paradise that we read about in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, right? I mean, just this morning on the way here, I listened to like 30 seconds of news on the radio in the car and heard about violence in at least three different places around the world, uh, some in the United States, some in other places, uh, this world is not as God intended it. Why is that? You know, what what happened there? And if you're looking at the notes that we've got here that I handed to you, I mean, we don't have the title on the screen for those of you watching at home. Uh, up at the top, I have to pick a title each week, and uh, this week is a God who won't give up, because that's what we see happen over and over. So we're going to look at three different stories, starting with that one back in Genesis chapters two and three. Uh, so Genesis two uh, says that then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful, produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden, we're skipping a little bit, to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper who's just right for him. And, and skipping ahead, he creates, he does the whole, you know, surgery thing, takes out his side, forms a woman, presents her to him. And he's like, hey, yes, this one matches. Um, and it says, now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. I'm going I'm to back up just a second to that bit about God creating a helper who's just right for him. Because I can't pass this verse up without mentioning that the Bible starts out, at least, in this early part of the Bible, presenting a picture of, of men and women as, as equals, as matching. Uh, later on in the story, we see very much the kind of the hierarchy and the patriarchy and the subjugation of women that has been a part of our human history for millennia. But at least as the story begins, in Genesis chapter 1, you might remember, God said, let's, let's create them in our image. And it says, male and female, he created them in his image. Both of us, all of us, equally part of God's image, representing God in the world. Here in, in Genesis 2... Sometimes people have taken that helper who's right for him, or help, helper suitable, or the old King James, a help meet for him, that word meet just meaning suitable, uh, and have taken that to mean, oh, yeah, so men are here and women are the helpers, like they're the help or something. And that's not what that phrase means, okay? Just, I have to, this is my soapbox, all right? Uh, the word helper is used throughout scripture oftentimes to refer to God. A helper is someone who's got enough power to actually help you. When you're stuck in the pit, the helper is the one stronger than you who can lift you up out of the pit, who can get you through whatever your struggle is. But the woman's not stronger than man. She's just right for him, suitable. And that word is like, like your, your shoes, how they, yeah, okay, mine match. Uh, I was just checking. Um, you know, there's that whole trend now where people have like the mismatched socks or whatever, you know, that kind of a thing. Uh, <clears throat> My, my kids sometimes in the morning as we're getting them ready for school and I'm, I'm the one that has to take them to school usually in the mornings and Stacy picks them up and we kind of flip, you know, trade up the day that way. And uh, so I'm usually the one saying, guys, guys, get your shoes on. Come on, we got to go. And, uh, and they're sitting there with one shoe and they got to find the other one that goes with it, right? Because they're all in a big pile in a basket. And sometimes that's a struggle. Usually it's not. Every now and then it's a struggle. We can't find it. Just pick different shoes. Come on, we got to go. We're going to be late. That's what this is talking about, right? It's like you've got two shoes that, that match a left and a right the same this is what that word suitable or just right means so god's got the human being alone needs a helper suitable someone who can be uh, the same who can match who can go with him so and that's so that's what we have and uh, and they're in the garden they're naked and unashamed um there's nothing for them to be ashamed of until you get to chapter 3, and there's the snake, and he's like, oh, come on, you can eat that fruit from that tree. Uh, if you do, God, God just kind of keep you down. He knows if you eat that fruit, you'll be just like him. And it says, and the snake's talking to Eve. She, she looks, she sees that the fruit looks good and is desirable, and she takes it and eats it and says, gives it to her husband who was with her, so he's right there with her for this whole thing. He eats it too, and suddenly they're like, Hey, we're, we're naked. Whoa, what's going on here? And they start covering themselves up with fig leaves. And all of a sudden, there's distance between them. And as we see, there's distance between God. Uh, the part I was able to put in your notes starts with verse 8. It says, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God said to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was a woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. And the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. The, the, the blame game starts early. So the Lord God said to the serpent, There, there are consequences now because they have disobeyed and disobeyed. And I know that this this whole scenario, if you're unfamiliar with it, read Genesis Genesis 2 and 3 later today, all right? Uh, this whole scenario sometimes strikes us as like, well, man, what on earth is God just putting them to a test like he knows they're going to fail or what's going on here? And, uh, you know, isn't it good that we know the difference between good and evil? Why would God not want us to eat from the tree, knowing good and evil, good and bad? And, uh, and I think what's going on is that God wants us to trust him to teach us and not like grasp for this ourselves. The temptation that the snake presents is, if you eat that, you'll be like God. God doesn't want you to be like God. And so they, they want to be in charge of deciding what's good and bad and knowing for themselves without letting God be the one who teaches them and helps them step by step to grow into the people that, that he wanted them to be. I'm sure that at some point God was going to help them to know, like, here's the good, choose the good, here's the bad, stay away from the bad. But instead they dive right into it. They think they can be their own God. They think they can make this decision for themselves and it has consequences. This is what we see in each of the three stories we're gonna look at today. There are consequences for our decisions. So, So the Lord says to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly. You'll eat dust all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, I didn't have room to put all the consequences in there, but I wanted to make sure and get that one in there because that little bit at the end about he will crush your head and you will strike his heel, that for thousands of years um, followers of God have seen that as like the first inkling that, oh, one day this enemy of ours will be crushed, that someday God will send someone who will be able to crush the serpent, crush this deceiver, this devil, this Satan, um, who will be able to defeat him, but who at the same time will be struck as it happens. And Christians have seen this as a picture of like what happens in Jesus, right? Who crushes and defeats our enemy while taking the fatal blow himself, dying for our sins. Um, <clears throat> so right there, as soon as this happens, God is already looking forward to, you know what? This serpent's going to have some consequences, but one day he will be crushed, one day. He'll be defeated. Now, he does have some things to say to the, to the man and to the woman as well. Uh, to the woman, he said, I'll make your pains and childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you'll give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So that idea of men ruling over women is a consequence of our sin. It's not part of God's initial design. And uh, I was just listening. The Bible Project's got this great podcast that I encourage you to listen to if you want to really hear some Bible nerds geek out on this stuff uh, uh, and that's how they describe themselves as Bible nerds. Um, that idea of the, your pains and childbearing, uh, he says, well, a better translation would be your pains in like conceiving. Like it's referring to the beginning of pregnancy, not to the, the end of it. And thinks this might be a hint that as we get our way through the rest of the book of Genesis, we see that almost every family is messed up and there is pain involved in every one of these relationships. But regardless, there are consequences for the woman, And then to Adam, he says, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. It's interesting. He doesn't curse the woman or curse the man. He curses the ground, though. Cursed the serpent. Now he's cursing the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. There seems to be in both of the consequences, like I was giving you life that was kind of like heading up and out and expansive, and now sin is causing you to like kind of shrivel up. I almost picture like a plant that's alive and thriving, and then you take away its sunlight, take away its water, and it starts to shrivel and get nasty and, you know, die. And it's like they are shriveling back. The woman, it says her desire will be for her husband, you know, and it's like, well, she was taken from her husband's side, right, is the story. So it's like she's kind of shriveling back to where she came from, Adam, shriveling back to the dust he was formed out of. Sin, the consequence of sin is, is never like, hey, this is going to be good for you. We think it will be, right? I mean, that's what the serpent promised. You, you do this and it's going to be good for you. You're going to be more than you were before. But the end result of sin is always kind of a, a lessening of who we are and who we could be, who we're meant to be. Because when we, when we sin, when we decide that we know better than God, when we decide to do things our way instead of God's way, it's like we're, it's like we're unplugging from the source of our life. And that's not good for us. <laughs> we, we, we need to be. It's like cutting a plant and putting it in your house. Like I, I don't give Stacy flowers very often, uh, in part because it seems like they last for a very short time, and then they die, and then they smell, if you don't get rid of them fast enough. Um, <clears throat> anyway. And that's kind of what we do. When we decide we know better than God, we're we're cutting ourselves off from the source of life. And that has consequences for us that are are ugly. But at the same time that we have consequences, we have a God who won't give up. We have a God who cares for us. And that's true for Adam and Eve. He cares for them. And that's the one verse I went ahead and included in your notes after this. Several verses later says, And the Lord God made clothing from animal skin for Adam and his wife. His plan for them would have been like, hey, you're in a paradise, you don't even need clothes. It's like temperate. You never have to bundle up, you know, like we all have to, to go out in the weather. Some of you are still bundled up right now. Is it too cold in here? Anyway, um, you know, he's like, this is paradise. You can just, you know, not worry about that. But you've wrecked that, so, well, here, I'll make you something better than those fig leaves you've fashioned for yourself. And he, and he creates clothing for them. And he does have to banish them from the garden because, as he says in the, in the next verses, he's like, hey, now that they have rushed on ahead and they know good and evil, they, we can't, it's almost like he says, we can't let them live forever like this. Uh, we can't let them reach out their hand and take from the tree of life and live forever. So he banishes them and, and sets up angels and a flaming sword and all this. Anyway, they're, they're prevented from reaching out and taking the tree of life. Instead of getting to live forever with a life that's supplied by God, now they live a life that is going to be shortened and end in dust. So there are consequences, but there is a caring God who provides for them and who doesn't give up on them. Uh, the next story comes right in the very next chapter, Genesis chapter 3, uh, where we get some of their kids, right? Surely their kids would do better than the parents did. Isn't that what we all want for our kids, to do better than we did? You know, we learned, learn from our mistakes, kids, and uh, don't repeat the mistakes I made, and uh, we'll try to set you up to have a good, a good life. And instead, what we see, you know, Cain and Abel, um, this was one of the, when Stacy and I adopted our boys, and we knew we were going to rename them, and we're thinking, we want some good Bible names. You know, the first brothers in the Bible, Cain and Abel, and we knew we couldn't use them, Right. Uh, some of you are chuckling because you know how the story goes. If you don't know, Cain and Abel, the first brothers mentioned in the Bible, um, it, the Bible says that they, they both offer sacrifices to God and Abel. We don't know why exactly, right? The, the Bible does not tell us. They offer different kinds of offerings. Cain worked with like plants, so he offers plants. And, and Abel works with uh, cattle, so he offers uh, sheep, I think. And, uh, and God, it doesn't say why, but God accepts Abel's offering, doesn't accept Cain's offering. And Cain gets angry about this. And God warns him. I didn't, I didn't get to put this in there. Sorry, I didn't have room. But, but God warns Cain, why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? You'll be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. He says, you have a chance here. Sin wants to trip you up, but you have a chance to not choose sin. You could you could be careful. You could choose something better. Instead, the story continues. This I did put in your notes. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, "Hey, let's go out into the fields." And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him, which is why we knew we couldn't name our boys Cain and Abel. All right. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, "Where's your brother? Where's Abel?" And this is a this is a weird thing about these stories, isn't it? Um, God just like. He's like Columbo or something. back I don't know if any of you ever watched Columbo back in the day. You know, he's just kind of like always kind of bumbling and asking questions. God's like, eh, where, where's your brother? Don't see your brother around anywhere. Just like in the garden, he's like, hey, where are you guys at? You know, like, as if he couldn't see them, like, you know, hiding behind the tree. And, uh, but God gives us a chance to respond. He gives us a chance. And so he, he says to him, where's your brother? Where's Abel? I, I don't know. Cain responded, am I my brother's guardian? Or the translation, I grew up with, am I my brother's keeper? Yeah, you know, am I am I responsible for my brother? How am I supposed to know where he is? Well, God responds. I didn't I had to skip this part, but the Lord said, "What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground." It's like He gives Cain a chance to come clean, to admit, to repent, or something, but but he doesn't. And so God has to point out, like, "Look, I know he's dead. I know you killed him. His blood cries out to me from the ground," and then He gives him the consequence. He says, "So you are." you're going to be cut off from the ground. The the ground won't produce crops for you. You're going to be a homeless wanderer. And Cain replies to the Lord, my punishment's too great for me to bear. You've banished me from the land and from your presence. You've made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. He, He knows this is, he says, this is too much. And God, the Lord replied, no, for I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. We don't know what that mark is, and that's led to all kinds of weird interpretations down through the centuries of what the mark of Cain is. But the point that I wanted to draw from this is God still cares about Cain. Even though there are consequences for his sin, for the violence, for the evil that he brought upon his brother, God cares about Cain. He's not giving up. Even on Cain, even on the very first murderer, God cares for him and, and protects him. And this is something that God does for us over and over again. When we give in to our anger, when we give in to our selfishness, when we look at a fellow human being and think, you know, we just want to be rid of them or something, um, you know, God has a way that He wants us to live. You know, a, a life of love that He models for us in Jesus Christ. Uh, he has a way that He wants us to to love each other, care for each other. When when Cain asks, "Am I my brother's guardian? Am I his keeper?" I mean, the answer that God could have answered with was, well, yeah, you guys should be taking care of each other. You should be, you know, watching out for each other. And if you see your brother slipping and falling and needing help, you should reach out and help him. If you see your, your sister wandering and getting lost, you should reach out and compassionately help her to, to find her way home again. If you see her in need, you should help provide for that need. God, God has a life he wants us to live together that is beautiful. And when we reject that, when we give in to whatever emotions they are that, that lead us to, to just want what we want and not care what happens to the people around us, there are consequences for that, but God continues to care. God does not give up. He doesn't give up even on Cain, who kills his brother. Now, uh, Genesis then goes through a whole bunch of, there's, there's a bunch of other stuff we're skipping over, and uh, there's, we're not going to even try to cover the whole book of Genesis, all right, in the next, we got three Sundays left after this one. Uh, we're going to hit some high points and kind of some of the big movements of the, the book of Genesis. Um, but what we do see for the next couple of chapters is that things don't exactly improve, all right? Uh, God, God is good to Adam and Eve, gives them another son, Seth, uh, to kind of ease their pain of the loss of their son, Abel and uh And then it just says, and yeah, they had lots of other kids and then, you know and they had kids and they had kids and they there's like these long lists of people and the kids that they had, and all this kind of stuff and and some of them um some of them end up being some pretty rotten characters you know there's there's one that talks that brags about having murdered someone, and you know if 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 anyone who kills Cain gets uh a sevenfold uh punishment. What, what was that he said? Sevenfold punishment. Anyone who kills him. Then anyone who, who hurts me will get 77 times. He's just like, I'm just going to be even worse than my ancestor Cain. I mean, some of them just get pretty bad. And by the time you get to chapter six, it's things, things have really gotten bad. It says, when human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose This is weird, okay? Just letting you know. This part of the story is strange, and I had somebody ask about it Wednesday night, so I thought at least I would mention it. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they're mortal. Their days will be 120 years. We don't know if God is saying, like, no one's living past 120 after this. If if that is what he means, it's kind of weird, because there are people that live past that after this. Um, Or it might be that he's saying, like he's starting a countdown clock, like, got 120 years left and then that's it and if you're familiar with the story you know what's coming soon is the story of Noah and a giant flood so it might be that this is the countdown clock saying you got 120 years left to get your act together or else but anyway then in verse 4 it says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them they were the heroes of old men of renown which is like a return to that thing about the sons of God and the daughters of men earlier again this is weird uh and especially weird to us because it's like wait is this saying that like angels and people and kids and how does that how does that all work exactly but in the culture they lived in uh there were other countries that had like this was part of their history like today, when, when you, some of you, Katie back there and teaching American history and all of this, and she loves American history and, and the chance to go to D.C. and see the monuments and, and, you know, the presidents and the whole origin story of our country, you know, it was like we, we love that, right? The origin story of our country, you know, has to do with... Um, you know, people who wanted freedom and wanted liberty. And, and if you're a Christian, you probably think of like, yep, they wanted religious liberty. They wanted to worship God the way they chose, and they couldn't do that in the country where they were. And so they headed out on a boat across the ocean trying to find this good land. And, you know, we've got fun musicals and everything, you know, lately about the start of our country and the origins of it. Some of their neighbors, some of Israel's neighbors, their stories that they celebrated, as they talked about the origins of their country or their nation or their city, uh, had to do with like these divine, these demigods, right, that the founder of our, the person who built our great nation, oh, his dad was a god, and his mom was human, and they had all these stories, kind of like some of those Greco-Roman things that we read growing up, right, were there a lot of, like, wasn't Hercules, like a half, like a child of a god and a human, or something like that, It seemed like those Greek gods were always messing around that way, anyway, some of their other neighbors also, that was their origin story, was it like, Yep, the founder of our place, he was a demigod. That's why our nation is so great. That's why, because we've got the favor of the gods and and the demigods and these great warriors that established us. And as the people of Israel tell their story of of their beginnings and of the beginnings of the world, this comes up, but as an example of wickedness, as an example of something that God said, no, 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 this is not what I intended for you at all. And in fact, because of this, well... It says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. His heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I've created and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I have made them. God has come to a, it's, come, it's all come to a very low point, right? He, God regrets he even started this project because of how wicked they would become. But <laughs> Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And then there are a couple of verses introducing Noah, and then it says in verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. You know, and that's what those, those Nephilim and those men of renown, they were, they were violent warriors. You know, and he says the whole earth is filled with violence at this point. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. And so what was he said earlier? That every inclination of their thoughts, of their hearts, was only evil all the time. The only person he could find who was even trying to do something right was Noah. Everyone else had just gone off the deep end. And so God says, I'm just going to have to wipe the slate clean. And that's the story we have in, in Genesis chapter 6 and 7 and 8. Um, where were we? Oh, had corrupted their ways. All right. Verse 13, so God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth, so make yourself an ark of cypress wood. And he goes on to, in some pretty strangely detailed, you know, direction for how to build this ark. And that's one of the things that we'll talk about as we continue our way through the Bible. It's like, why did God go into such detail about it? The dimensions of the ark and all that kind of stuff—is it just so somebody a couple thousand you know years later could like build one down in Kentucky or something, or why? Why did they? Why did they go into such detail? Um, we'll we'll talk about that in the future. Uh, but this is just one more example of you know there are consequences for our our sin, and and it troubles God's heart. It grieves God that it's come to this, right? I mean that's what it says. Uh, God does not want to see us suffering and causing suffering of. Fellow human beings. It's the kind of thing that God sees and he says, I just can't, I can't let that just continue. This can't be the trajectory of this project. This cannot be the way this this story goes. And so there are going to be severe consequences at this point. But God doesn't give up. He provides, he cares, he provides a way out for for the few that are willing to trust him. And that's what Noah has to do. He has to trust him to build this ark and follow all these directions to take his kids and all the animals and all the rest, and to, and to embark on this crazy journey uh, of uh, of God providing for them and keeping them safe through this flood. And and if you read the flood story, then it's like all the stuff we read in Genesis chapter one all gets undone. Um, you know, God had separated the waters above from the waters below and had this you know dome or firmament or whatever in place to hold those waters up there, and you know those those windows are opened, and the the flood waters come down, and and there are, uh, the the flood waters of the deep are allowed to to spring up. You know he had separated the waters so dry la- land could appear. Well now he's undoing that, and all the dry land is being covered up, and it's like the chaotic waters are being allowed to just swallow up the earth. He is undoing the, his work of creation. He's hitting the uh, this, uh, control Z the undo button. Over and over and over again until it just backs up. And everything is is undone. Except for Noah and his family and this this little ark where he's maintaining an opportunity for life to continue. And eventually, there's so many details we can't get into. Eventually, the waters recede. Eventually, dry ground appears. Eventually, the ark lands. And God says, it's okay. It's time to get out. And then the first thing Noah does once he's out of that boat Genesis chapter 8 Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds he sacrificed burnt offerings on it The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart never again will I curse the ground because of humans even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done that, that's striking to me that verse right there that, that God says you know what I've I've wiped the slate clean but you know what, even though, it's like he knows, even going forward, every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. He says even though they might just continue down that path again, even though these human beings might choose violence, even though they might decide we'd rather go to war than live at peace, even though they might decide that our selfishness is, is worth the violence that, that we uh, cause to each other. He says, even if they do that, I'm not gonna gonna wipe them out again. I'm not gonna do this again. Never again will I destroy all living creatures as I've done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. God promises to be faithful. To maintain the order of the universe. To not cause cataclysm of that sort again that would destroy all life. Even though He knows that our sinfulness is is likely to continue. And as we can all attest here thousands of years later, it certainly has. But God cares. God doesn't give up. He doesn't give up on the human project. He doesn't give up on you and me. This is the God that we're presented with as the story begins. And what we see next is what we'll look at next week. Uh, By the time you get to chapter 12, God has decided, you know what? He's he's focused his project on this one family, the family of Abraham and his descendants who one day will become the the people of Israel. He begins to to focus his energies in on this, this one people so that through them all the world can be blessed, so that through them someday he himself can show up on the scene in his son Jesus Christ. Because God doesn't give up. He doesn't give up on us. I don't know what consequences you've had to suffer over the years we've all sinned. The Bible's real clear about it and all of us can admit it. We've all sinned. We've all screwed this thing up. Every single one of us have done things in life that were like, oh man, that was dumb. I listened to the wrong person. I thought it was the right thing to do. I ate the fruit. I, mm, I thought it was going to be good for me and it wasn't. We've gotten frustrated. We've gotten angry with other people. Hopefully we haven't killed them, but we've you know maybe destroyed a relationship or done some ugly things to other people uh, in the heat of the moment and Oh, man and looking back we realize that, that is not what I should have done and there are consequences now for that sometimes it's been really 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 bad the consequences have been so severe that you have a hard time talking about it you have a hard time thinking about it it feels like everything has been lost but God doesn't give up he doesn't give up on you, doesn't give up on me He continues to care. He continues to provide. He continues to work for our good. And that's what he has done in his son, Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrate each and every Sunday morning. And we're going to in just a moment in the celebration of communion. We celebrate the fact that God in his grace, God in his mercy, God in his love for you and for me does not give up. So please, don't give up on yourself. Don't think your story is over when when you get the consequences Don't think, well, I guess that's it. I guess God doesn't love me anymore. No, no, no. (laughs) He does love you. In fact, that might be why you had to suffer the consequences because God couldn't bear to see you continue down the path that you were going down. He needs you to get onto a better path. And he's able to help you to get onto a better path. He's able to forgive. He's able to redeem. He's able to restore. He's able to bring beauty even out of the ugliness that we bring on ourselves. I encourage you to reach out to him today and to trust him to experience his goodness and his grace, to know his love today for the rest of your life. Let's bow our heads and let's, let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you do not give up on us. We've given you plenty of opportunities, God, and yet you continue to be good, to be faithful, to be persistent in your love for us. God, today you know there are some of us who have, We've been real close or maybe we're there right now just feeling like all hope is gone. The consequences of my failures are too severe. There's no coming back from this. God, I pray that you will speak to each one of our hearts and minds today to tell us, no, no, I love you. (laughs) I will protect you. I'll provide for you. I will see you through. God, help us to to have a a picture of our future that that maybe only you can see at this point. Help us to have a a glimpse of the, the beauty that you can bring out in our lives, of the goodness that is possible that we can still be a part of and we can still enjoy. God, help us to know that we are loved by you, the God who made us, the God who has never given up on us, the God who is with us right now. Thank you, God. Thank you. Your word is clear that when ordinary people like us, dirty, rotten, messed up sinners, when we confess our sins to you, you are faithful and just. You forgive us our sins and you cleanse us from all unrighteousness, from all the ugliness, all the filth that we have brought upon ourselves you wash us clean thank you god thank you for your grace for your mercy we we know we don't deserve it but we are so grateful to receive it thank you god that out of love for us you came to us in your son jesus christ to take our sin to take our death to allow the serpent to strike you so that you could crush his head and defeat our enemy and set us free. God, today we thank you that you invite us to celebrate this in the sacrament of Holy Communion. We offer to you these gifts of bread and juice and we pray that by your Holy Spirit's presence here that we might meet our crucified and risen Savior in his body and in his blood. Jesus, you gave this gift to us when you were with your disciples and you took bread and you broke it and gave it to them and said, This is my body broken for you. Take this and eat it. You gave them the cup and said, This is my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. When you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. This seals the new agreement, the new covenant between God and humanity. God, we are so grateful for the love you have shown us in your Son, Jesus Christ. We are so grateful. That today, as we offer ourselves to you and confess to you our failures, our our inability to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the ways in which we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves, we have not been our brother's keeper. God, as we confess this to you, again, you are faithful and you forgive. You are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. You forgive our sins and make us new. Help us today, God, to experience your grace, to know ourselves as people loved by you, whether this is just our weekly reminder of something that we have known for 20 years or whether today is the first day that we are finally coming to grips with your love and your grace and experiencing it, experiencing your embrace of us as your sons, as your daughters. God, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for this community, this family that you invite us to be a part of, where we have brothers and sisters now who can encourage us and and care for us and support us and and help us to grow. Thank you, God. You are so good. We are so grateful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Would you pray with me the prayer that Jesus taught us? Uh, I've asked uh, Pastor Judy if she would come and and help serve communion today. Uh, As the musicians are coming forward, they're going to lead us in one last song. Um, This is for all of us. All of us who are saying yes to Jesus today. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've been through. If today you are hungry for his grace, uh, if you're grateful for his love, you're invited to come forward as we sing, take bread from the basket, dip it in the juice, and eat it you got the regular, like, pita bread, the little gluten-free round wafers. Or we've got the little individual cups. And if you just are trying to keep your distance from people and don't want to come forward, we've got those little cups on the table as well. And you can peel it back and get to the bread and to the juice as we sing. Let's celebrate God's amazing grace the love he has shown us in Jesus Christ. thank you again God for the amazing grace that you've shown us in your son Jesus Christ our chains are gone we've been set free help us today to live in that freedom to live confidently knowing that the God of the universe is with us is for us that your Holy Spirit resides within us empowering us to live lives of love thank you God Please, fill us afresh with the spirit of Christ, we pray, that we might live in this world as the body of Christ, as your hands and feet, as your sons and daughters. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.